So please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the week before last, we began a four-week study the nature of the church, what it is, how it functions, and its mission. As I mentioned then, um, Christ Community Fellowship has changed a lot over the past two years, and I believe it's important once again to instruct us, that us meaning all of us, mean as well, in, from the Word of God regarding the church so that we may be unified in our understanding of who we are in Christ so that we will be unified in how we live together as the church for Christ to the Father's glory. If you know your position, you usually know how to play the position, right? But if you don't know what your position is, you don't know how to play the game. Obviously, this is not a game. But last time, as we discussed, uh, we discussed what the church is. And we started out with the reminder the church is not the building. The church is, is not this building. It's a people. Specifically, it is the people of God. The word church in the New Testament literally means, it means the called out ones. That's what the word church means in the New Testament, the called out ones. And so people who make up God's church are people who have been called out by God from a life dominated by sin, which leads to death, which leads to the judgment of God, that whole path. They've been called out of that life into a new life, a life ruled by the Spirit of God. And a person becomes a part of the church not by walking in a door, not by taking a class, not by joining a church or deciding uh, that they want to be a part of this church or that church or they like this teacher or that teacher. That has nothing to do with being a part of God's true church. A person becomes a part of God's true church by being born into the church of God, and I'm not talking physically. Some people think that we're a part of the church because we were born into the church. No, if you think that you were, are, are a Christian and you're saved just because you were raised a Christian, that is not what the Bible says. You must be born again. That's what John chapter 3 proclaims, that Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And so it is a spiritual rebirth. You must be born again, John chapter 3 says. And so it's quite possible, by the way, to go to church, to be a member of a church, to tithe, to sing the songs they sing, go to the functions, go on mission trips, do all these things, and not be a part of God's church. And there are churches, I assume, that are full of people who do all those things and yet have never been born again. Those things without being born again is what we call religion, and that is a self-righteousness. And we assume because we do all these good things that we're right with God, and that is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus said. He says, your works are as filthy rags before me, but what happens is God, by His grace, He saves us when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and now we are born again, and because we are born again because we've been changed. Now, our lives are filled with the things that God loves, His people, His kingdom, His praises, His will, His mission. Do you see the difference? It's pretty scary, huh? A person is born again by turning from your sin, from our sin, and it's called repentance when we turn from our sin and we turn towards God. 
for forgiveness by believing that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin, for my sin, and that He rose again on the third day, that His life becomes our life. That is how a person is born into the church, by, by turning from our sins and turning towards God. And by God's grace, we're made new. It is an act, a supernatural act of God's grace. Undeserved, unearned, but it's what He desires to do. You're born again, and you're born into the church. And so the church consists of those called out, those who have repented and put their faith in Christ Jesus as their Savior. And your new life is now wrapped up in the church, in the body of Christ, in the people of God, the kingdom of God. That is what your life is now about. As we glorify God together by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Lord has a mission for His church. He saved us for His purposes, for His plan. But before I share what God wants us to do, it is important to know who we are as the church of God. And this is important because as we understand all that God has done for us and who we are now in Him, our new identity in Christ Jesus, it becomes clear what He wants us to do. And I, I use the analogy of playing baseball. You kind of go out there and you and you do have, if you've never played baseball, you don't know what to do. You got put on a team. Well, what is a glove? What is first base? Where do I go? What do I do? You were born into the kingdom of God, and you really have no clue what that's all about. Amen? And then we're somehow supposed to just get it. Now, God's in us, and He'll drive us towards things, but we need to be taught. We need to learn who we are in Christ Jesus, our position, what He has done for us, who I am now, not what I used to be and what everybody says I am, but what God, my Father, now tells me who I am. And it is from that position, our position as the church, that we then know how to go forward in the life to glorify God, which we've been brought into in His kingdom and His plan. And so guess what? When you're born again, you're born into the church, and the plan is no longer your plan. Isn't that amazing? It's not about you and your house and your kids and all these things primarily. It is about His kingdom and His kids and His house. Amen? And how we glorify our Father in that. And if that sounds boring to you, that's the flesh. But if those things are like, okay, that is kind of boring, but Lord, change me and help me. That's the Spirit, amen? And, and He wants to drag you, He wants to convey you from the kingdom of darkness, which you once were. You have been brought positionally, but your thinking hasn't, amen? And He, start, he wants to retrain you, to conform you to the image of Christ Jesus. And this happens over time through the Word of God, by interacting with the body and all these types of things. And you get trained over time into rethinking who you are in Christ. And now, oh, I get it. I know who I am in Christ, what my position is, and now more specifically, I find out what He's called me to do as a part of His mission. And so I find myself behind this pulpit when the very thing I did not want to do when I was in junior high, high school and beyond was public speaking because I'm humble and you guys know it. Get words backwards and you guys laugh at it, but it's okay because... There's a compel, God compelled me towards this direction as I just loved Him. And God's going to compel you and move you into whatever area in the body of Christ that He has called you to, that we function together. You're not me, I'm not you, but we are one. 
And as we function together as a team, for lack of a better word, more like a family, even though that's a hard understanding to understand these days. As we function together, we, we, we function together not to serve our individual purposes, which would pull us apart, but His purposes, which are revealed in the Word of God. And, and it's through us that God would reach the world and His plan would go forward. He'd be glorified and His kingdom would be established. Amen. But all that's going to sound like death to self. Does it? Totally. It sounds like a cross, and that's why Jesus says it's the narrow way. But I would have to give up. I would have to change. I would have to do. And Jesus would walk up to people and say, unless you, you can't be my disciple. Unless you, you can't be my disciple. And so let the Lord speak to you on those things. But we'll talk about what we're doing later. Today I want to talk about who we are in Christ. Amen? And so I gave you some homework a couple of weeks ago. Those of you who weren't here, there was an email that went out. And those of you who are visiting, you're off the hook. Well, who actually read the homework? Did anybody read it? If you didn't, you're not under condemnation. I love you anyways. I just read it this morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I read it, I read it yesterday. <laughs> but it was to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Amen? And, and again, these are rich verses. And, and what I'm going to read, I'm going to read the entire section, verses 1 through 14. What I asked was that you'd go through and you would write down or you would underline or you'd star, whatever it is, uh, what Christ has done for you. This is your new identity. In doing so, you're going to find out what your new identity in Christ is. What is the identity of the church? And so I marked out seven things. There's eight, actually, but because I like the number seven, I did seven. And actually, the first one is like the banner over all of them. I don't want to explain it pastorally things. Just have grace with me this morning. I'm going to do seven. So Ephesians chapter one, I'm just going to read verses one through 14. Then I'll go back through and we'll unpack it, okay? Ephesians chapter one. Verses 1 through 14, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ in Him. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to be put out to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised the promise Holy Spirit 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. I hope your mind hurts. Paul is Mr. Run-On Sentence, and it's just packed with all that God has done for us as the church. Before we get to the seven marks that identify the church of God, I want to first look at those first two verses, his introduction to the church, the first two verses. Look at them with me. Notice in verse 1 and 2, Paul is writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, and he greets them with grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul calls the group of people he is writing to in Ephesus, God's holy people, or how many of you have a New King James or something, the translation is what? Saints. It's not the football team. It's not the guys in Rome. So the word saint and holy are interchangeable, and they mean the same thing. Now, I know that some of you did grow up in the Roman Catholic tradition, and they sadly have morphed the meaning of a saint into some kind of super-Christian. That is not what the word saint means in the Bible, nor is Paul writing to super-Christians, to the super-Christians who are in Ephesus, all one of you. No, he's not doing that. He's writing to the saints. So take a guess who the saints are. Believers. Amen. He's writing to the church. The saints, as some translations say, we have it are God's holy people. NIV kind of, I think, takes away the, you know, the word saint means a lot because it's been brought into something else uh, to mean something greater than it is. But saint means God's holy people. I think the NIV has it right here. And so the word saint or holy means, as we know, set apart for a specific purpose. Again, this is similar to what the definition of the word church means. Church means the called out ones. Saints means holy ones, set apart. So called out and set apart for a purpose, God's purposes. And that's what that means. Those who have been called out uh, from the world to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the church is holy because it consists of people who have been set apart for God's purposes. So you and I are holy in God's eyes if we have put our faith in Christ. We are saints if you can redefine that in your mind. And so Paul, if Paul were writing to the church in Walla Walla, he could say, I'm writing to the saints or to God's holy people in Walla Walla. You are a saint. (laughs) You are holy in the proper sense of the word, amen? You were set apart by God from the world when you believed upon Jesus Christ. And so, and as saints, as God's holy people, notice he says, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. That's what verse 2 says here. The church are those who have peace with God. No one else has peace with God. Rather, John chapter 3 verse 18 says, they are condemned. Everyone else is condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So those who are part of the true church are the only people who have peace with God. It's exclusive. And if you don't like the message, you won't like Jesus because He is narrow. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me and other ways that you want to. 
No, he says, through me. Unless you come through me, you will not have life. And so those who have put their faith in Christ are those who have peace with God. But notice he says, grace and peace. Notice which word he puts first. I think that's the Holy Spirit. Grace. You will not experience the peace of God until you've experienced, until you know the grace of God. It's because of God's rich and, and, and lavished grace upon you that you now have peace with God. I think it's time for a hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so to have peace with God is to be saved from God's wrath and is to be brought into the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. And so having received the grace of God, we now have peace with God. Notice, again, that Paul puts that grace before peace. Your sainthood, your right standing, your relationship with God is because of God's grace. And because of God's grace, you experience that peace. And now Paul begins to address the church. He has, to, he has addressed the church, and he's going to remind them of all the blessings that they now have in Christ. And these are the ones we want to focus on. And so we're going to go through seven identifying markers. There's more. By the way, he goes through the first three chapters of these, so this is not an exclusive list. I'm doing seven so we get an, an idea. We could hunker down on this for a year and a half, but we're just going to do a flyby. Ready? So as we go... Write them down. They are yours. Amen? Kind of putting a little legalism on you. Write it down. I don't see those pens moving or those things clicking. The first mark that identifies the church, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. How many of you picked up on that one? Yeah. The first mark that identifies the church is that God has blessed us in, heaven, in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing. You have been blessed. And as we want to unpack the rest of these, there's two things I want you to notice, and they're in verse, verse 1 and 2 there. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 3. And these are these two things are true with the rest of the blessings, okay? First is that every spiritual blessing that is yours is in the past tense. It's not in the present tense or in the future tense. It already has happened. It is yours in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Do you love that? You have been blessed. It says in verse 3 that God has blessed us past tense. That means that the spiritual blessings are yours right now. Now. Can, right now, and then now, and in a second, they're yours. They're yours. Every spiritual blessing. Some spiritual blessings are mine and not yours. Is that what is he saying? Church, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, and I'm not getting weird on you in Pentecostal, okay? We're going to, it's going to nail down what those are, okay? Hyper-Pentecostal is what I meant to say. Nailed down. Secondly, the thing I want you to focus is the blessings are found where? In Christ, not outside of Christ, in Christ. And notice they're spiritual. How many of you want, God, I want every material blessing in Christ? And that's what they teach because that's what you want to hear. That's not what Jesus says. What does he say? Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Oh, man, I'm going to go through the wide gate. 
the narrow gate, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, you were united with Christ in His death, in His resurrection. You became one with Him, and His righteousness became your righteousness. His life became your life, and you were no longer separated from Christ. You were united with Him, and and you experienced that spiritual rebirth in Him, and you are born again into the family of God. And as members of that spiritual family called the church, you now have access to all the blessings of that family that are Christ's. You died, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. When we believed in Christ, we were really, it's as if we died with Him, and that's what the Bible teaches. And I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. As He rose, we rose. We reunited with Him. And everything that is His is ours. We are one. Amen. We are not God. There are things that are His nature that are not ours. But we are His. His house is our house. His blessings are our blessings. But notice, they're not just for us to use as we want for our own earthly means. Whose purpose are they for? His kingdom, His house, His name, His glory. Amen. And so... We now have access to Christ, who is seated where? Where is Christ right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. So where are our blessings? In Him. And notice we are seated with Him. I didn't even get this. This is like quantum Christianity. We are with Him, and yet we are here. But we're united with Him. And so the first mark is that we are blessed in Christ. And really, if you're going to break it down into eight, this would be the banner, and the rest would be the seven that follow, but I'm just going to compound some... So this is the blessings from which all flow in Christ. How are we blessed with every spiritual blessing in, blessing in Christ? Here we go. Verse 4, for He chose us in Him when? Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And obviously this is a topic and it has been a point of major discussion for the church for 2,000 years and people have split over this and all this great stuff. Good thing you came this morning because I have the answers <clears throat> no, no, I don't. But the b- debate is whether God chooses us or we choose God, and the answer is yes. <laughs> Amen. But it is clear, let me emphasize this, that it is clear from Scripture over and over and over again that God chooses those who are to be saved. Let me ask you, how many of you had a choice in your own natural birth? Raise your hand. Oh, wait. You didn't? That's very interesting. Someone else made a decision on your behalf. That's interesting. Well, in spiritual birth, it's a little different. But God, let me just say that God has the power to save or not. That's what the Scriptures teach. You can't run away from it. And I used to argue with this all the time. Because, Well, what about me? And all this type of stuff. Listen, God saves. He chooses those who are to be saved. And I don't understand how that works, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a theologian on it. But I do know that God chooses those who He saves. And my responsibility, the the Bible also teaches at the same time, the responsibility of man is that you must believe. I don't understand how He works out all this stuff. Even though He explains it to me, it still gets beyond me. But I do know 
that my responsibility is to what? Is to believe. And unless I believe, I will not be what? Saved. Those are heavy things. So the Bible is clear over and over again that God chooses those who are to be saved. It doesn't say the opposite, that God chooses those who are going to hell. So don't make that conclusion. It doesn't say it. For He chose us in Him before the, what, creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Jesus Himself said in John 6, 44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sends Me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. Was Jesus kidding? No one can come to the Father unless what? He draws them. That's pretty, I don't know, how do you, argue with him. He chooses, he draws. John 15, Jesus also said to the disciples, you did not choose me, but what? I chose you. I want to argue, but I can't. You did not, Jesus couldn't be any more clear. You did not choose me, but I what? Chose you. And I think I want to fight because I want to have some kind of say in it, and I did this and that, instead of just saying, thank you, (laughs) thank you, thank you, Lord God, wow. How many of us can just read that and say thank you and not argue with each other about it and just say thank you, God, that you chose me? I think that's good. These are just a few examples, but there are many more that clearly teach that God chooses us. Yet, here we go, we teach both. The Bible also teaches the responsibility of man to respond to God through faith in Christ. You can't get around this one either. You can't. Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that, and he, that He gave His only Son that whoever what? Believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what does a person have to do? You must believe. You can't get around that. Argue with that. You've got to believe. So the Bible teaches two parallel truths. God chooses, but you must choose Him. You must believe. I don't understand how it works. That's what I see. And so the invitation is extended to whoever and requires them to believe in order to be saved. John 8, 24, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. He repeats it twice. you got to believe in me or you're going to die in your sins. What does Jesus want them to do? Believe. Totally. And that's the gospel. I don't know who believes or doesn't believe. I don't know God chose or didn't chose. I preach the gospel. And who's, it's, it's up to you and God, whether or not you believe, it's up to the people you go to, whether or not they believe or not. You're just the messenger. Amen. And so the Scriptures teach that God chooses, but it also teaches that a person must put their faith in Christ. They must be, listen, if you believed upon Jesus, guess what? God chose you. Pretty cool. <laughs> he picked you to be on His team before you even knew there was a team. Enjoy it. Be thankful. Having you with Him forever was His idea from the foundations of the earth. Make no mistake, saving you was His idea. He chose you. Say thank you and love Him. Amen? And that is the second thing you should write down regarding the marks that identify the church. First, the church is blessed by God, and second, we were chosen. And that is awesome. Now, why in the world would He choose you? 
That's a question I have. Why? Would, would you choose you? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Like, you know, you ever had kickball going on? You want to choose, you know. Look at who he chooses. In the world's eyes, losers. In Christ's eyes, sons and daughters. I was speaking with a brother yesterday, and, and he was just marveling at why the Lord would save him. You ever just marveled? God, why would you? Don't you know who I am and what I've done? Why would you come after me? Why would you seek me out? Why would you find me? Why would you change my heart? Why would you bleed and die for me? Why would he choose us? Verse 5. What does it say there? In love. In love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship slash daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God's motive in choosing you was what? In love. Now, another great question is, why did and why does He love us? That's just, I think that's going to be the big question throughout all eternity. Why? Hmm. But there is a plan that He had for you before the foundations of the earth. It says in verse 5, that plan is He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. He chose you and predestined you to be born into His family, for you to be His son and to be, for his and to be His daughter. And that is the third mark of the church. We are predestined for adoption. We're adopted. He planned and knew that you would be brought into His family. Adopted is the word. You were not His child. You were an enemy. You were far away, but He sought you out for adoption. How did that happen? He happened through Jesus. He pursued you through His great love. Jesus died to take away your sin, my sin, so that we could be adopted into, into the Father's family. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. So we've gone from slave to an heir. Isn't that amazing? He bought us out of the slave market of sin and death with the blood of His own Son and adopted us in love, verse 5 says. 1 John 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. It's just this love that just pours out upon us. Amen. And it gets better. It says there in verse 5, In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with what? His pleasure and His what? His will. It was His what? It was His pleasure and it, it was His will to adopt us. It was His pleasure and it was His will to adopt us. Let that sink in. Think about you and Him. It was His pleasure and it was His will to adopt you. Did you know that His plan for you, for us, to be His child came from His love and His good pleasure and His will. It came from His very essence. 
That's not something that will happen. That happened. It's done when you believed in Christ Jesus. Pretty cool. And so the first three marks of the church, the true church, are you're blessed, you're chosen, and you're adopted. You're predestined to adoption. And, and Paul just has to break into a little worship chorus here, and so he does. Verse, uh, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the ones He loves. Notice His grace was given freely in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, this is because of His glorious grace, His goodwill, His kindness, His love, His charity. This is your Father's heart towards you. This had nothing to do with us earning or deserving it. These blessings are all that He has done on our behalf to the praise of His glorious grace. Amen? All that was freely given you and the one He loves. Again, in Christ. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished upon us. That should just lock your minds up. It's so rich right there. Paul starts off, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. So there you go. There's another one. You have what? Redemption. This means you've been bought back. The idea is that you were on a slave market of sin and rebellion, headed towards death and awaiting judgment, and God saw you, He sought you, and bought you on that slave market. And the price to buy you out of the slave market of sin, to redeem you from that life of slavery was the blood of His only Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, He cried out, It is finished, to Telestai, and that can be translated, paid in full. Last words, one of the last words of Christ on the cross, what did He cry out on your behalf? Paid in full. Nothing else needs to be paid. It's done. It is finished. Amen. God paid your debt with His Son's life, and He rescued you from a prison of slavery that you could never free yourself from. And this is personal to me. I love Psalm 107, specifically verses 10 through 16. They're close to my heart as the Lord ministered these to me shortly after He called me out of a life of slavery It reads, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in afflictions and irons because they had rebelled against the words of God. I'm reading out of the King James, out of the New King James. And despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And they cried out to the Lord in the trouble, and He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, and He broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, for He has broken the gates of bronze and cuts the bars of iron in two. Jesus saved me. He paid the price to break me out, His own life for mine, His own life for yours. He redeemed me with His precious blood. He bought me back. And that is how He paid the price to buy us. Not just to be a slave in His house, but to be a son, to be a daughter. It's amazing. To be seated with Him forever in Christ Jesus, heirs in the heavenlies. You have redemption. That's the fourth mark. Your place is no longer in the slave market 
but in the court of the king. So we've been blessed, we've been chosen, we've been, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, and next, verse 7, you have the forgiveness of sins. God has forgiven your sins. If you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, you realize that He has forgiven you. It is finished. Your sins were forgiven. How many of us need to be reminded of that, especially when we decide to go stroll down the old slavery path? Anybody else? Do you know that you have been forgiven? You have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. It is yours. When you put your faith in Christ, all our sins, past, present, and future, were washed away, thrown into the depths of the sea. I think of Peter when he says, you know, hey, let me, let me, Peter, Jesus says, hey, let me, let me wash your feet. And Jesus says, well, no. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, hey, let me, if unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And then Jesus says, listen, I don't need to wash all of you. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But let me come and clean up the dirt. And that's kind of what the Christian life is. Jesus has spoken his word to us. We've believed in his gospel. We are clean, but we get dirty. Amen? And we need to come back to the Lord and into that fount of forgiveness that he has for us and to cleanse our hearts and, and, to, and to make us good again. I don't know how to speak, right again with Him. We're positionally saved, but I tell you what, sometimes we don't act like it and we need to get cleaned up, amen? But that fount is available to us in Christ Jesus. It is not blocked off. It is open. The veil has been torn. So, and notice that cleansing, that forgiveness is in accordance, verse 7 and 8, with the what? with the riches of God's grace. How many of you are forgiveness? You just need a little forgiveness. Have you got just a little forgiveness? A droplet of forgiveness is what you need today? Anybody else? What does it say there? It says that forgiveness is in accordance with the what? Riches. I like that God uses big words there. The riches of God's grace that He what? Lavished upon us. We're not talking droplets. We're not talking a little tiny squirt gun. We're talking super soaker. We're not talking kiddie pole. We're talking oceans. He dropped the Atlantic Ocean on you. Boom! God's grace flooded. His forgiveness is yours in Christ Jesus. Whatever you need, He's got it. Amen. And that cleansing, that forgiveness is according to His riches. And so, the church is those who have been blessed by God in Christ, have been chosen, been adopted, been redeemed. And fifthly, we've been forgiven. We're almost there. Don't worry. We're almost there. Verse 8, second half, with all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on, under the earth. What this means is that God has let you in on His plan. People who are not part of the church, who are not born again, who are not His kids, don't get to know His plan. The plan just comes upon them. But you have been born again. And this really, this is the sixth mark that identifies the church. We were given God's plan. He says there, with all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will. It's a mystery unless God reveals it, and He revealed it to you. 
John 15, 15, this beautiful verse, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you, what, friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have, what, made known to you. In Christ, God gives us the plan. The question is, are we going to crack it open and look at it? Are we going to seek Him for it? It's ours. It's there. It's like there's a bank account of knowledge, and we've got all the codes, but we're just too lazy to go to the bank. Nah. And we live in this poverty. You know what I mean? So God's got this spiritual vault for us to access, and He'll teach us as we go. He's given us the Holy Spirit. I'm getting ahead of myself. But really, the plan, Philippians 2.9, just for example, an overarching view of the plan, Philippians 2.9, therefore God also has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and given Him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what's going to happen. It's all coming to where everything, everyone is going to bow before Jesus Christ. That is where all of humanity, past, present, and future, is funneling towards. And you are either His or is not, or not. You either bow now or you will bow then. <laughs> and then is not the option you want to have. Amen? So now in verses 11 and 12, quickly, Paul includes himself, because he's been talking about them, but now he just quickly talks about himself because he and the other apostles are the ones who brought them the message. So he says, hey, in him we also, us apostles, were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, us too, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And so Paul just says, we too are blessed in this way, and we pass it on to you. That's verse 13. <coughs> and you also were included in Christ when, here's the time marker, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. We are included in Christ when. All these things were planned before the foundations of the earth, but when were they activated? When did they happen? When you what? Well, you believed. Got to believe. And when you believed, all these blessings are yours. And now Paul goes on to point out the next spiritual blessing that identifies them. When you believed, you were what? Verse 10, you were marked with him, in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And so these blessings, the blessings that were seated in Christ, being, were blessed, were chosen, were adopted, were redeemed, were forgiven. You've been given the plan. Not only that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this is important. The Ephesians were living in a commerce town, and what would happen is when they send a letter or a package, someone have, have a, a, a ring with a stamp on it, right? And they take that, they melt wax, they put it on whatever package they were sending, and they put their symbol on it, right? They'd squeeze it in there, and that seal would not be broken until the owner who had that ring could say, this is mine, I'm going to take it. And so they would understand that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're His, and that's another proof that you're His. You have His Holy Spirit. We're going to go into that later about what that means for the church. But you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He has put His mark upon you, His, his mark of ownership upon you. The proof that you are His is the manifestation of the Spirit within your life, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. We'll get to those. 
all operating in the context of grace and love and obedience to Christ. But the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you're His until He comes and gets you. He's going to pick up His package. Amen? He's not going to forget you. He's given you a seal. Now, real quickly, it says that the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. I thought it said that we had redemption. Do you see that? We had redemption, but what does it say? We're going to be redeemed? So which is it? Come on, church. Both. Good job. (laughs) Amen. Yes, is the answer. Yes. You have redemption. He bought you, and He's coming to pick you up soon, whether you pass and go to Him or whether He comes and grabs you. So the proof is the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, God has poured out His blessings upon the church. This is your identity. And I want you to um, consider praying to the Lord and say, Lord, this is who you say I am. Change my thinking to agree with this. Conform my image of who I think I am with who you say I am. I am blessed in Christ Jesus. I am chosen. You chose me. I have been predestined to adoption. I have been redeemed. I have been forgiven. I have been given the plan. And I've been sealed with your Holy Spirit. These things mark the church. The world does not have these things. The false church does not have these things. They will try to make up things that look like these, but these are yours in Christ Jesus as you've placed your faith in Christ. And it is from this position of knowing who you are, a son, a daughter in Christ Jesus, that you can say, hey, I am yours, and this is who I am in yours, and you have given me authority to go as the blessed, the chosen, the redeemed, the adopted, all these types of things, all these things I have. Now you can go and do what God's called you to do in His power and His glory with access to all the riches that are yours in Christ Jesus. You do not need to be afraid, church. Amen? I focused heavily on what God has done for us, and I know that can be kind of a stumbling block, but there are things that we're going to do for Him. Amen? But I wanted to start with here. What is our position in Christ? Focus on these things. And as we move forward, we're going to get into who we are now as a church. What do we do? What is the fruit of the Spirit? What are the gifts of the Spirit? How do we interact? Who's in charge? How do we, what are the things within the body? How do we interact? What's the mission? All those things are going to be played out over the next couple weeks. And so hopefully at the end of this, we'll have a better understanding of what the church is, who we, who we are in Christ so that we can go be all that He's called us to be according to His plan and His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we love You, and we ask, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be able to receive these things. I'm asking, Lord, this morning that Your Word would go deep into the hearts and souls of Your church. So many have struggled with who they are in You, and they're being told everything else. And so, Lord, minister to your children today. I'm so thankful that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. What a Father's Day. I didn't even line this all up, but these are the things that you've done for us. These are the things you've done for us, Lord. You're a good, good Father praise and honor and glory and worship to you. 
Thank you for redeeming us in Christ Jesus and showering us with all these things that will never end. So glory to your name. May your church arise. May your church stand in your presence and proclaim your kingdom until the day we see you face to face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.